The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Big Red Bench Women's Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy McCarthy, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at jermccarthy 74 On this week's show, Munster Women's Hockey Piero Graham Catchpole makes a welcome return to the bench to review the opening weeks of the new Munster Women's Hockey season and preview this weekend's under-16 and 18 girls inter-pro clashes. AFLW expert and Aussie Rules coach to the stars Mike Curran returns to review and analyse every result from the fifth round of the AFLW season, each Irish player's performance and preview round six. Cork Red FM's rugby expert Wendy Keenan joins me to review this past weekend's historic Munster Women's Rugby and Barbarians clash at Thoman Park, as well as a full roundup of the Energy All-Ireland Junior Cup and Women's AIL. Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie is back on the bench to preview this weekend's Qatar Grand Prix, and I have a full roundup of all the latest Cork LGFA Senior, Intermediate and Junior Club Championship results, scores and standout players, as well as reaction from Clannacilty versus Castlehaven, ahead of this weekend's triple header of county finals at MTU. That's all to come on this week's Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Munster Women's Hockey PRO Graham Catchball is back on the Big Red Bench to review the opening weeks of the new 2023-24 Munster Women's Hockey season. Graham provides results and scores from all the recent women's EY1 and women's Munster Division 1 games involving Munster teams. And we also chat about potential title contenders from the Munster region as the new season gets underway. Graham and I also look ahead to this weekend's Munster Under-16 and 18 girls inter-pro clashes with Leinster at UCC. Now, it gives me great pleasure here on Corkstreet FM's Big Red Bench to welcome back the Munster Hockey PRO Graham Catchball for another season of Munster Women's Hockey coverage here on the Big Red Bench. Been asked a lot about it over the last couple of weeks. We're back. Lots to talk about. Lots to look forward to. Got a huge response last year to uh, Graham's coverage of Munster Women's Hockey here on the bench and we're looking forward to doing the exact same again. Graham, it is good to talk to you. How are you? Yeah, great to speak to Joe. Great to be back as well. Yes, and uh, straight back into it because no sooner are we back when there are results to talk about. There's midweek matches coming, taking fast, and we also will touch upon the Munster uh, girls under 16 and under 18s who are involved in Interpros as well this coming weekend. But we start as we always do with our Munster Women's Hockey Roundup with some results. And in the women's EY1, uh, Loretto and Catholic Institute met last weekend. Yeah, a, a, a tough start for Catholic Institute away to, to a very strong Loretto side. Um, Institute have, have lost one or two um, players over the summer, most notably um, Roisin Upton. Um, and, and that will definitely, have, I suppose, hurt their chances. Um, they, they they lost 2-0 to Loretto, um, having having won the won in the first round. Um, fully expect Loretto and Catholic Institute be up near the top end of that table come, come I suppose, the, the business end of the season. Uh, but uh, Loretto drawing first blood there with a 2-0 with a win over Institute. Yeah, and I suppose what what I learned from last year, certainly when it was the EY one league and the Munster Division one league, which we're going to talk about as well, nothing was really decided until the final two, maybe second last last weekend. So this, even though it's a setback for Catholic Institute, as you said, uh, it's certainly not the end of the world. No, not at all. There's there's plenty of time to to, to make up the points, and teams are going to drop points throughout the the course of the season as well. The EY one is it's getting closer and closer every single season, it seems. Um, so so yeah, look, there's plenty to play for, I suppose. Certainly, as Catholic Institute will be keeping a close eye on their progress throughout the year in the women's EY one here on the Big Red Bench. We turn our attention to the women's Munster Division one, where um, a number of results uh, over the past weekend, and also a quick look ahead as we record this. Uh, there are midweek fixtures as well. But we start with Bandon and Ashton serving up a five-goal thriller, Graham. 
Yeah, always an absolute, uh, I suppose, uh, a thriller between Bandon and Ashton. Always very, very close matches. Um, this, this, this one was no different. Ashton coming out three two winners with a with a winning goal in the in the last three minutes. Um, um, Ashton went ahead. Bandon equalised. One all at half time. Um, Ashton came back to two one. Bandon equalised. And uh, yeah, got the Ashton got the winner three three minutes from from the end. Olivia Roycroft with with both abandons goes with uh, a hat trick from Emily O'Leary actually for Ashton to to take the spoils on the day. Um, in the other games, then Waterford Waterford beat um, Crescent three two as well. Another very close match. Um, Harlequins set down a bit of a marker with a, a 9-1 win over over Church of Ireland Yvonne O'Byrne Michelle Barry and Bethan O'Farrell getting a brace each um, and the, the Blackrock and UCC game was actually postponed due, due to the, the pitch getting waterlogged but that match is actually now happening tomorrow night um, in UCC at uh, 8.15 yeah, and I suppose to pick it, no shortage of goals, I suppose, Graham, is the first headline coming out of those results, but also some very familiar faces from last year's race to be the top goal scorer as well, especially for Harlequins. I mean, if talk about statements of intent. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the, the very recognisable faces there, uh, scoring the goals, Michelle Barry, Yvonne O'Byrne and, and Bethann O'Farrell again, uh, who, who was top goal scorer last year. Um, a big statement of intent against last year's third place team, uh, Church of Ireland. So, yeah, uh, Harlequin seem to be out of the traps very, very quickly uh, this 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 year. So, be interesting to see how far they can go, not only in Munster but also in EY too. Um, this particular division, in terms of title contenders, I know I'm putting on the spot now, and I hate it when I don't really. I'm just going to do it anyway. But I know from last year and just how tight it was in the top four or five positions. There was nothing between the teams. That's not a cliche. Like we covered it right up until the very end, and, and when when the champions were crowned. When you look at it, even though it is early days, Harlequins clearly are going to be up there. But who else do you think might challenge for the women's monster division one title this year? Yeah, would would fully expect UCC to be up there thereabouts as well. Um, they've added one or two players to their squad, <clears throat> which is great to which is great to see. They, but they also, you know, they they lose players on the other side when when uh, when students are finishing up. Maybe most notably Quiva Perdue, who's who's mm-hmm. moved to Dublin, the Irish international. So she 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 will be certainly a, a loss for them. Um, now I think she's she's one of very few. I think that have have have, have gone out um of the door, I suppose, in college, and they have got some some top talent in from from Harlequins in particular I think you know at the start of the season so UCC will be there thereabouts um, Ashton, Bandon and, and Church of Ireland will be the other sides that will be vying for, for those kind of top two spaces anyway um, Ashton obviously starting well against Bandon there would not rule Bandon out at all um, and, and Church of Ireland who obviously had a heavy defeat to Harlequins but but only this time last year had had beaten Harlequins so I'd be interested to see whether they can turn, turn things around I suppose it will indeed looking forward to covering this particular I got so much enjoyment out of it last year we spoke to a lot of the players and we hopefully will do so again this year and the characters involved in each of those teams and uh, lots and lots of women's Munster Division 1 and women's EY1 and EY2 hockey to look forward to throughout the season you're listening to Cork Shred FM's Big Red Bench on a regular weekly slot of Munster Women's Hockey with Munster Women's Hockey PRO Graham Catchball Graham this weekend the Munster Under 16 and Under 18 girls teams play in UCC Um, they've already uh, been out in the provincials uh, a little bit earlier on, but this weekend they face some they face some stern tests. 
Yeah, so so this weekend uh, the the under sixteens and under eighteens welcome Leinster to to the Mardak Arena in UCC. Um, so it, it's going to be a real tough tough game, two two tough games, I suppose, for for the Munster sides. Um, the the first round of games, Munster ha- had some tough defeats to to, to Ulster. Um, so they they'll be looking to bounce back, I suppose, against Leinster. And will feel like they have a bit of a point to prove. Um, last season, of course, the under 18s went on to win the Interpro title. Um, so they will be looking to try and get some some points on the board. Certainly at the weekend, uh, the games happen this Sunday um, at twelve for the under 16s and at two o'clock for the for the under 18s. So so any support would be welcome in the in the Marduk Arena in UCC. I know we touched on it quite a lot last year when it came to interprovincials, uh, Graham. But the importance of players making that step up from their clubs and from their schools to this level—it's not an easy one at sixteen, certainly not at eighteen. But the pathway that's there now in Munster women's hockey—a lot of the players that are playing eighteen would have played sixteen, I'd imagine, for Munster already, so they know what it's all about. But is it results orientated at this level? Or are we looking at progression to try and get as many senior players ready for that big step up later on? It really is a bit of both. Um, I suppose it's certainly development and and in, you know introducing players to that high performance environment for the first time. Um, obviously, the the end goal would be to to get Irish internationals um, from Munster um, in you know with senior caps um, along the way. Hopefully, getting them at under sixteen level and under eighteen level, under twenty one level. Um, so so that the ultimate goal, I suppose, is to develop players and get them used to that high performance environment and um, doing all the right things they should be doing if they if they want to make it as a high performance athlete. Um, so that that's the environment that's created for them. And that, that is very much helped by the support of, of the college and UCC itself and its sponsorship. Um, but it's also driven as well by the volunteers and the coaches and the management and the physios and the video uh, personnel. So it really is, you know, uh, setting down a marker at under 16 level and then, you know, almost honing it under 18 level. And hopefully then, you know, by 21, you, you, you know what it's about and you know what ex- what's expected of you to kind of get to that uh, full Irish, uh, I suppose, international cap. Um, so that that's the ultimate goal, uh, but it really is about introducing uh, these uh, these girls, I suppose, to a high performance environment uh, at the outset. Yeah. So on Sunday in UCC, as Graham just outlined there, the Munster under sixteen and under eighteen interprovincial team will take on Leinster twelve o'clock and two o'clock starts for both of those games. If you are in the vicinity, certainly go down and, and cheer on uh, the next generation of Munster women's hockey players. Uh, that wraps up our first roundup of the new season. Uh, Graham, it's great to have you back. Great to be talking about hockey. We've got a lot to look forward to over the coming months, and uh, we're going to look forward as well, hopefully, to talking to a few players from from some of the clubs as well, and uh, lots as we said to look forward to and it's good to be back yeah absolutely thanks for having me again Jert looking forward to the next one The Big Red Bench Saturday and Sunday from 6pm AFLW Ireland's Mike Curran join me on this week's Corks Red FM Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast to provide analysis comment and expert opinion on every single one of this past weekend's AFLW games Mike also gave us the lowdown on each Irish player's performance during the fifth weekend of the AFLW campaign we also previewed this weekend's round six AFLW Matthews and have all the latest AFLW FLW Ireland's Irish Player of the Week and Year Standings. Now on Cork Street FM's Big Red Bench, it's that time of the week again when we talk all things AFLW from down under. No better man than our resident expert and coach to the stars, AFLW Ireland's Mike Coran joins me on the line. Mike, how are you? 
Very good, Jer. Uh, we have a lot to catch up on. <laughs> we have, because I went and got sick and missed a week. I know we have to make up for it, so we're going to fly through it because there's an awful lot to talk about. Before we talk about the footy, Mike, huge news on the CBA being finalised. Why is this significant and how historic is it for AFLW? It's massive news, Jer. Like right back through uh, the last few months, we've been talking about the CBA and uh, the importance of it and how long it's taken to, to sort it out. But they've finally got it agreed. First of all, I suppose it's historic in, in that it's the first joint men's and women's CBA. So the first time this has ever been done. And that's partly the reason that it's taken as long as it has to start out. But it has been finalized. It has been agreed. It has been passed. There is now a new CBA or collective bargaining agreement for anyone listening in, in place now for five years up to the end of season 2027. So um, it sets the structures of the competitions and the contracts and the pay and all that for the next five years. It's absolutely huge. The overall value of the CBA is 2.26 billion euro. Now that's across men's and women, but that's the type of numbers we're talking here. So it's phenomenally massive. Yes, and it's something that we'd alluded to in the close season, as you said, and just I don't want to spend too long on it now, but just the historic significance of this, Mike, because in Australia, in a country that loves, loves its sport, its league, its rugby union, its soccer, maybe not rugby union at the moment, soccer and certainly AFL and on the weekend as well, as you said, at the grand final. This is historic. This is seismic for anyone that, and with one eye on Irish players potentially coming down the future as well. Yeah, well, look at it. If you, if you look at, the, I suppose, the what has been announced in terms of the women's game alone, it's absolutely massive. You recall we did have a pay rise for the women last season, which brought them up by about 97%, nearly doubled their pay. Their pay is going to increase by 77% now across the next few years, across the life of this CBA. And that would mean that the average pay for a female AFLW player will go from $49,000 to $87,000 within a few years. That's massive. There's a me- an immediate impact this year. So even though the players have all got an increase last year, we said there was potentially another one coming in the CBA there's an immediate um, upkeep of 27%. So even for the players that have now started the season, hard to believe we're five rounds in that we're going mm. to talk about in a minute, but this will now be back paid to the start of this season. So right. that now takes the basic pay up to $51,000. So we're going over $51,000 for the basic tier for a player. It went to 39 last year. Remember when AFLW mm. started off back in 2017-18, it was down around $14,000. So that just gives you the significance of how far it's coming, how fast it's coming. There is a there is an intention to align the men's and women's game to bridge the gender pay gap. That's all happening. Brilliant to see. Also, one of the big things that the, I suppose from the women's point of view is they wanted more games. So there is going to be one more game next year. So we've 10 rounds this year. We're going straight to 11 rounds next year. The potential to go to 12 rounds the year after. Uh, the AFL have made it, uh, I suppose they've put a bit of pressure on the clubs in that it's been incentivized and they've, they've got key APIs in terms of attendances at games and viewers um, on TV and etc. But I've no doubt that, that, that that's going to follow just because of the, the huge following and interest in the game at the minute. So the competition is growing in length and the contracts are growing. The AFLW players now will have 12-month contracts as opposed mm. to uh, six-month contracts, which they've had previously. Now, they won't be playing for 12 months, but they've got the security of having uh, contracts now across the full calendar year. And they now have the option to have multi-year contracts, whereas previously it probably would have been limited to two-year contracts. So what that means is a lot more security uh, for players that, w- that want to see where they're going to be across the next few years and a lot more scope for the clubs to offer longer contracts and stuff. But I know we're squeezing a lot in in a short mm. period of time, but it is absolutely massive, yeah. No, it is, and you've, you've surmised it perfectly there. And look, I suppose you're going to be busy, and I think we're going to be seeing 
in time, without getting into it, I think we're going to see more Irish players attracted to the notion of being remunerated for their skills in a professional level over a 12-month contract. I foresee a lot of busy, uh, a lot of more Irish players making the jump, but we'll talk about that on another day. But it's fantastic news and it's fantastic to see it um, historic because it's it's equality, it's getting closer to the men's and women's being paid equally and that's what we want. We move on from that CBA massive announcement. We're going to summary <laughs> summarise round four as quickly and as succinctly as you can. The main headlines coming out of the round that we missed last week, Mike. Exactly, yeah. Well, just before we go forward, we have to throw our eye back to round four Just and we're just going to pick out the main headlines there. The key ones are Melbourne and Adelaide, both remaining undefeated, I suppose, across that round. Melbourne went to 13 wins in a row and the main takeaway there from an Irish point of view was a brilliant debut for Amy Mackin and we saw five of the Mackin siblings there for her opening game and for her jersey presentation and all that. So a huge occasion, very special occasion for the Mackin family and everybody back in, in our Ma. Um, she played brilliantly as well, by the way. Uh, Adelaide, undefeated as well. They scored 106 points, so they got their highest score ever in AFLW, and they've been one of the most successful teams wow. to date. They've broken their own score record, and they've got the second highest ever score in AFLW with that 106 points. To know from the Irish point of view, there was two goals for Neve Kelly. So then we had Brisbane beating North Melbourne, I suppose, which would have been two more of the top teams down in Tasmania, where prior to this point, North had never lost in 12 games, uh, and it looked like they were going to lose, but it was a massive or they were, going, they were going to keep that winning streak going. It took a massive comeback from the Lions to get that win. So that was a brilliant win for Brisbane away. The final couple of points, St Kilda had their first win of the season with a big upset win over Collingwood, who also uh, went down the previous week in an upset loss to Gold Coast. But big win for St, uh, for St Kilda. And mentioning Gold Coast, they had their third win in a row. And notable there from the Irish point of view was Neve McLaughlin kicking her first AFLW goal. And to round out round four, we just note that the Irish player of the year was Anya McDonough at Hawthorne. Yeah, and good, good honour. Um, fantastic as well. Yeah, so look, I think things going to form pretty much in, in, in round four, as we said, there are some high scores as well. And I think that's been mimicked as we move into round five. Because before we get into round five, Mike, and start our, our roundup, we start on a Thursday and a Friday and a Saturday. And that's because it was grand final weekend in Melbourne this past weekend. Over 100,000 fans in attendance. Massive, massive day in Australian sport, in Australian history, culture and heritage, everything. Um, a fantastic grand final as well to boot. And that's the reason some of the matches had to be moved. It is a huge weekend in Melbourne. In tradition, as long as football has been played, the last Saturday in September is grand final day. It was back in that position now. It had been at a few different dates across October through COVID, but massive occasion. And and this is how the Aussies do Aussie rules and they do sport. There's a bank holiday the day before the grand final. So uh, I, I, if the Irish government are listening, we could do a, a bank holiday here before the All-Ireland finals. Brilliant and idea. Get them. So, Friday off for everybody. So that meant we had the first round or the first game of round five on Thursday evening. We double headers and games across Friday at Icon Park. We're going to talk about those in a minute. And then on Saturday, we just had one game in Collingwood versus Essen before that grand final. But yeah, a magnificent occasion, a full MCG with 100,000 people plus. Uh, it's one of the great occasions in sport. It certainly is, and it was a fantastic uh, spectacle as well, and Collywood winning that one. But as we start on Thursday with Melbourne beating Geelong 74-25 at the GMHBA Stadium in Geelong, the Demons Irish team on the roster this year on the Demons, Sinead Goldrick, Blaine Mackin and Amy Mackin, uh, while Geelong Cats have also three Irish players, Rachel Kearns, Ashley Maloney and Anna Rose Kennedy, but a win for Melbourne yet again, Mike. It was, yeah. They've stretched that win now to 14 wins in a row, which that record continues week on week. Um, you know, it was the first time these two sides have ever met in AFLW, so this was always going to be a big test for Geelong because obviously they're a strongly improving team with aspirations for finals as well. Um, but as I say, that record streak uh, stretched out despite a great showing for the Cats. 
Melbourne looking absolutely brilliant. You know, Captain Kate Hoare scored four goals again this weekend. She's been scoring multiple goals week in, week out, leading by example since taking over from, from Daisy Pierce. Uh, Melbourne looked phenomenal. Geelong did play very well. Um, most notably, Ashley Maloney, uh, who scored three of their four goals and was amongst their best on ground. So a big showing from her up front. And she's taken some big marks up there and, and is going to have an influence for Geelong this season. And the three Irish demons all playing, Sinead Goldrick, um, who had a, a seven intercept possessions. So that's a huge stat for the game in terms of cutting off attack after attack, seven intercept possessions. The Mackin sisters both playing again. And Amy Mackin only in her second game, 11 disposals, but already looking ridiculously comfortable with the ball and her natural skill set coming to the fore. So she's going to have a big impact on the season as well. But yeah, Melbourne drive on, um, still undefeated. Yeah, that's some going by Melbourne. They are one of the farm teams, as we'll talk about when we come to the latter bit later on, and it's pretty obvious why. On to Friday, and Fremantle beating Richmond 37-30. to 30. The Dockers um, holding on against the fast-finishing Tigers to post an upset seven-point win. Dockers' Irish f- uh, quartet for the coming season, Anya Tyke, Orla Lally, Amy Mulholland and Joanne Gregg. But a, a big, big win. It was a big win for the Tigers. This was a double header at Icon Park on Friday night in, in uh, on the bank holiday Friday, and yeah, a bit of an upset, I suppose. In, in terms of the form, you'd expect the Tigers probably to come out on top of that one. So it was a good win for for Fremantle to keep their season on track as well. And it was a, a brilliant start, I suppose, and the ability to hold off a late finish from the Tigers. They were the keys keys to the win here. Um, if they can continue to start as well as they did, they got three goals in that opening quarter. That bodes well for for them for the second half of the season. But we talk about her every week. Anya Tai, absolutely phenomenal. Again, best on ground for the Dockers. Scored a goal, 19 disposals, five marks. Like she's she was, she's marking the ball up front or when they bring her down the back to defend. It doesn't matter. Uh, she's unbeatable in the air. So brilliant as always from Anya. And the other three Irish Dockers all featured in that game as well. Joanne Craig, Amy Mulholland and Orla Lally. Yes, as you said there, sorry. Uh, yes, as you said, the Irish doing particularly well there for the Dockers. Great to see that the four of them are on the roster this year and a, a good, timely win for them. Second half of that uh, doubleheader at Icon Park saw the Carton Blues beat Sydney Swans 44-39. Carton's two Irish this year are Rowan Fitzpatrick and Daniel Finn, while the Sydney Swans have a quartet of Irish on their roster. Jennifer Higgins, Paris McCarthy, Julia Sullivan, Tanya Kennedy. But disappointment for Sydney in this one, Mike. There was, yeah, look, it was a close, entertaining game from start to finish. Both teams were pretty evenly uh, matched. This was the second part of that doubleheader at Icon Park after the Fremantle game. And they were very close throughout. There wasn't much in it, you know, for the Swans, even though they, they lost Rebecca Privatelli, kicked four goals for the Swans. Before she was a Swan, she was a giant. And before she was a giant, she played at Carlton. So she was shining against her original team here. Um, also one of the Irish Swans um, was shining again, Tanya Kennedy, 18 disposals and six tackles for her. She has moved from the defensive line into the middle, such as the impact she's having on the ground, uh, just a ferocious competitor. And the Swans side also featured Julio Sullivan. And then on the Carlton side, we had um, we had a debut for Dania Finn. So a big weekend for her. She made her AFL debut and she was very good in fairness as well. She showed she wasn't afraid to put her body in the line with some big collisions. And Iran Fitzpatrick scoring a, a very good goal as well at 13 disposals for her. So yeah, a good Irish showing. Uh, but a good win for Carlton in a close game. Yes, good win for Carlton, as you said, and a close one, as we said, and we'd like to see those. But um, yeah, good good win for the Blues on that one as part of that double header. We move on to St Kilda overcoming the Western Bulldogs 54 36 on St Kilda's roster this year. Grace Kelly is the Irish representative while um, uh, against the Bulldogs in this one. They, they spoiled what was a homecoming. Uh, can you explain that, Mike, and why it was uh, such a significant night for them? 
Yeah, well, look, Bulldogs have been struggling massively, as we've talked about week in, week out. Uh, it was hoped their fortunes were going to change this weekend because they were returning to Whitten Oval, which is, I suppose, is the spiritual home of the Bulldogs. That particular ground has undergone a recent redevelopment. This was their first game back, but Saints were in no mood uh, <laughs> to allow the celebrations, and they spoiled the party, definitely, to pick up their second win in a row. So remember, they had been um, winless for the first uh, four games. They had that chalk win over Collingwood last weekend. They've now got two in a row and it was well-deserved as well. Uh, on the Bulldogs side, you know, they're now zero wins from five. Uh, remember again, these were top eight finalists last year. It's definitely not looking likely that they're going to be in the top eight this year. Uh, it's two wins for the Saints and a bit of momentum building. The other thing worth noting about the Saints is they changed probably about one third of their list at the end of last season. So it was always going to take a few rounds for, for them to bet in and get their systems and structures up. But they seem to be finding some form. And Grace Kelly, who's playing in a new role off the half-back line now for Saints across the last few games and playing very well, um, is the only Irish involvement in this one. But um, she's playing very well in defence for, for the Saints and two wins for them now. Yes, indeed, two wins. And uh, just to round off the Friday night roster, uh, the West Coast Eagles overcoming Port Adelaide. 39-33 in Port, really close game there as well. Six points between them. West Coast Eagles, Irish representative is Ashley McCarthy this year. This looked and sounded like a close game, uh, but an important win for West Coast. Very close game and very important win for West Coast. You know, this was the first win of the season for the Eagles and Ash McCarthy. And we've been saying this across the last few weeks that we'd hope we'd see a win for them soon. Um, not alone for the outstanding uh, individual performances that Ash Mack is putting in. Uh, she has been brilliant and she was brilliant again here this weekend. You know, she had uh, 22 disposals. She scored two goals um, this weekend, her first goals of the season. Uh, they were a massive contributing factor to the Eagles picking up that first win. It was a pretty tight game throughout. There was only one point in at a three-quarter time. Um, this now ends a 10-match losing streak for the Eagles. So that's how important it was. 10 matches in a row across the back half of last season and the first half of this season. So it's brilliant to see them uh, get the win and hopefully that gives them something to build on from here on in. Yeah, good, great to see the Eagles getting off the mark. Tight game in part, but it was uh, for Ashley McCarthy as well. Fantastic. On to Saturday and uh, a big, big day for Collingwood, obviously, in the, in the Aussie Roots, uh, the grand final. But the AFLW uh, team beat Essen and Bombers 44-24. Uh, Collingwood McBoys, two Irish this year, Sarah Rowe and Ashley Sheridan, while Essen then have Joanne Doonan. Um, but an important win um, at the Punt Road Oval, Mike. It definitely was an important win and you know what an occasion for Collingwood club as a whole on, on Saturday. As you say, the men winning an absolutely classic uh, grand final at the MCG. Literally across the fence at Punt Road Oval, uh, Collingwood AFLW were playing against Essen in the morning and there was definitely a brilliant vibe and atmosphere about this one. You know, uh, hundreds and hundreds of fans that were on the way to the MCG came in and watched this game first. So that added brilliantly to, to the atmosphere. But a massive win for Collingwood. You know, they've bounced back from what you would consider as two upset losses across the, the last couple of weeks. So that would have been frustrating for them. So it was great to, to get them back uh, um, on a winning um, platform. So for the Irish uh, on show here again, week in, week out, Sarah Rowe and Ashton Sheridan both were fantastic again. You know, Sarah Rowe had 20 disposals, five tackles, which shows she's working as hard when she doesn't have the ball. Ashton Sheridan also got a, a brilliant goal in this one. But yeah, Collingwood did enough in this game to keep themselves ahead from start to finish and they'll be very relieved to be back to winning ways. 
Indeed, they will on a historic day, as we said, the day of the, the weekend as well. It was in it for the grand final. Collingwood uh, AFLW team notching up as well. The Magpies beating Essen, as we said there. On to Sunday, and one of the informed teams in Australia this year, the North Melbourne Kangaroos, hammering a struggling uh, GWS Giants 32-2. Despite a, a pretty dour and pretty tight defensive effort from the Giants, the Kangaroos, of course, uh, we should mention, they got three Irish players this year, Ailish Considine, Eric O'Shea and Niamh Martin. But a 30-point win for North Melbourne and fully deserved, Mike. Yeah, fully deserved. It probably was never in doubt, to be honest. Um, fourth win in a row, or fourth win of the season for them, and not much to be happy about for the the, GW, the GWS Giants, as you said there, um, who've lost again. But not only did they lose, they were also uh, goalless. They didn't score a goal in the whole game. So North dominated this one from the start and, and realistically could have been even further ahead uh, if they hadn't registered three behinds in the first quarter from 10 inside 50s. So um, the scoreline could have even been wider than it was in the end. But the game was affected somewhat by windy conditions at Arden Street but as I said there it did go as expected uh, the Giants still are in search for that first win uh, of the season and look at uh, I suppose from from their point of view they had a lot of key retirements uh, last season at the end of last season no more than their, their two Irish Giants and a lot of new young players who are excellent and exciting um, on the list at the moment so they're probably going through a bit of a, a rebuilding phase at the moment uh, and, and they hopefully will pick up a win soon but yeah job done for North Melbourne and, and they're keeping their season on track up at the top end of the table. They certainly are. Kangaroos, as you said, job done and done uh, effectively uh, to stay in the hunt as well in the top eight. They're, they're looking really good at the moment. Also on Sunday, the Brisbane Lions overcame the Hawks. 59-32, 27-point winners for Brisbane. The Irish Lions uh, this season are Orla Dwyer and Jennifer Dunn, while Hawthorne's Irish representatives include Aileen Gilroy and Anya McDonough. But uh, Lions on, on top form here again, Mike. Yeah, it was a 27-point win for the Lions, but they certainly didn't have it all their own way in this one. You know, Hawthorne are an improving side. Um, They've been playing very well. They've now showed that they can play quite well and and set up structurally very well against these bigger teams. Uh, They actually led at halftime, and they were only seven points behind at at three-quarter time. So it was really a a dominant final quarter by the Lions that saw them home. Uh, Three goals to their star forward, Dakota Davison, was probably um, the the pick of the highlights for them. She's in brilliant form and and they need her up front there. She missed the last round due to suspension, so they know how important she is and a real target for them. And of course, we had two former lines playing for for Hawthorne, the high-profile trades before the season, Emily Bates and Greta Bodie. They were both in action for Hawthorne. Both had strong performances against their old team. And in terms of the Irish players, Wardo O'Dwyer, again, reliable as always, 16 disposals, playing very well. And we also had Jennifer Dunn featuring again in the full back line. And our Irish Hawks are Aileen Gilroy and Owen McDonough. And the highlight of the match here from an Irish point of view, I suppose, is an incredible scoring run from Anya McDonough. She has now scored a goal in every game of the season so far. So five rounds, five goals. It's the first time it's ever been done by uh, by an Irish AFLW player. Uh, it's an incredible achievement and she's showing how important she is as a as a goal scorer for Hawthorne and a, as a key player and, and that's brilliant to see in just her second season. Outstanding for Molly McDonough. Well done to her five games in a row. That's seriously good going and as you said, showing her importance and also her class. We finish our round up with the Adelaide Crows, the inform top of the table Adelaide Crows as expected beating Gold Coast 47-15 late on Sunday evening. The Crows Irish duo are Niamh Kelly and Niamh Yvonne Bonner while the Gold Coast Suns uh, trio are Clara Fitzpatrick, Niamh McLaughlin and Karen McCrossan but Adelaide here at the Only Oval uh, doing what they do best. Yeah, absolutely. And all five of the Irish players featured in this one, but Crows remain undefeated after the five rounds. In what you'd say was a comfortable win, in fairness, in Adelaide over the Suns. 
they were very accurate up front at the start of the game and they were they had kicked five goals straight, no behinds up to half time. So they had the game dominated at that stage and in reality they were in control throughout from start to finish. Um, all the Irish players featuring in this one Neve Kelly very good again Annie Von Bonner who's proving a, a key forward and a key target up front for them and across for the Suns then we had Clara Fitz in defence and both Cara McCrossan and Neve McLaughlin featuring as well but yeah Crows cruising along very nicely Indeed they are so that's the round up uh, following round 5 and let's have a check now on the ladder which is the league table equivalent for those who are new to the, new the AFLW game but at the very very top it's pretty obvious who the form teams of the early part of the season are as the Melbourne Demons and Adelaide Crows sit joint top Melbourne with a better scoring percentage uh, maximum points from their 5 games 20 points each on absolute fire so far this season the North Melbourne Kangaroos are not far behind 16 points in 3rd place then the Brisbane Lions also on 16 finding a bit of form the Gold Coast Suns Geelong Cats Richmond, Carlton rounding out the top eight there and just ahead of Essendon Bombers and the Fremantle Dockers who are also on 12 but have a lower scoring percentage in the bottom half of the table Collingwood on eight St Kilda and Sydney Swans will be hoping to get a bit of form and try and force their way into the top eight as the season progresses but from 14 to 18 it is a lot of franchises there alone just looking for a win just to kickstart some bit of their season that's Port Adelaide and Hawk, the Hawthorne Hawks and the West Coast Eagles all on four points as we mentioned earlier Western Bulldogs and the rebuilding Giants uh, yet to get off the mark but they are certainly certainly in rebuilding mode. We turn our attention to this week's games and this week's slate of games in round six of the AFLW season and it begins on Friday evening with the Western Bulldogs ranked 17th taking on the Carlton Blues. On Saturday, a host of games begin with the Giants desperately seeking their first win against the West Coast Eagles are just above them. Then the match of the weekend and we're going to get Mike's thoughts on his pick, his favourite matches I think could be up and why but this will certainly be up there. First place, second Melbourne versus Adelaide in the Casey Fields in Melbourne what a game that's going to be 5am Irish time if you fancy getting up to watch it following that we've also got St Kilda taking on the Hawks Port Adelaide welcome Sydney Swans to the Alberton Oval and Brisbane Lions will hope to continue their winning ways at the expense of Collingwood um, the 4th versus 11th there on Sunday we've got three games really good game here in Prospect Essendon and Geelong 9th versus 6th at Warnerham Oval in the Gunch Mara I think I've butchered that but we'll say what it is anyway we've also got 5th against 7th with the Richmond Tigers holding holding hosting the Gold Coast Suns and then wrapping up the weekend looks like a good game here North Melbourne Kangaroos in third place they travel to Fremantle Dockers who are ranked in 10th but some fantastic games there I think I know the one that's sticking out the most Mike but what other games should we look forward to this weekend yeah well that's an easy one this weekend without question you know the two undefeated teams top of the table clash Melbourne v Adelaide absolutely cannot wait for this one and we'll definitely be getting up to watch this one you know the, the two standout teams in the competition without question We'll really see where Adelaide are, I suppose, in this one because Melbourne seem to be the team that are unstoppable at the minute. Adelaide in brilliant form at the minute. It's down in Casey Fields, which is Melbourne's home ground as well. What impact will that have on it? But it remains to be seen. That's absolutely brilliant. Cannot wait for that one. And again, across some of the other games, you know, even if you look down towards the lower side of the table, we've got GWS Giants versus Eagles. Eagles have just had their first win. This is another one that they will see as a good chance to win. Uh, but probably from GWS's Giants' point of view, they'll possibly see this as a, as a game that they can target to win as well. So there'll be a lot on the line in that one. Um, and then, you know, yeah, even if you probably turn to Sunday, most of the games on Sunday are big. Brisbane v Collingwood. Um, Collingwood have bounced back after those two defeats. We're going to see where they're at again against one of the form teams in the competition in Brisbane, up in Brighton Homes Arena uh, in Brisbane's back garden there. So it's an away game for them. 
Essendon and Geelong is going to be exciting. You know, two teams that are, are there thereabouts for finals as well. Essendon, an expansion team from last year. And then I think you touched on it there, Fremantle versus North Melbourne. Um, huge Irish involvement in this one. Again, third v, v ten. Fremantle are probably further down the table than they deserve to be. So they'll be looking to get a few more wins, but North are in brilliant form as well. Interesting there from the ladder. The top four teams at the ladder, Melbourne, Adelaide, Kangaroos and Brisbane, were the four teams in the preliminary finals last season, which are the, oh. the semi-finals as we know them effectively. So the the table and the ladder is staying true to form. It is hard to believe the five rounds are done. So we are now <laughs> over the halfway mark in the home and away season, which seems crazy. But um, yeah, the cream is rising to the top. But the second half of those eight top eight finalists, Gold Coast, Geelong, Richmond, Carlton, a lot of those teams will be delighted to be in that position and hoping to hold on to them. And as we mentioned, teams like Essendon and Fremantle would be hoping to break into that. So a lot to play for across the, the back nine, as we'd seen in golf terms, seeing that it was Ryder Cup week. Mm. Definitely, yeah. And there's a lot of interest just this weekend. There's some big, big matches coming up as well, not just this week, but over the coming weekends. We'll cover it all here on the Big Red Bench um, with Mike Cran from AFLW Ireland. We finish up our roundup this week with a look at the AFLW Ireland Irish Player of the Year standings, the round five standings, and then the overall standings for the Player of the Year. How is it looking, Mike? Yeah, so round five uh, Irish player of the year is Ash Mack. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, nearly took the Eagles home on her own to get their first win of the season. And she's been in the top five every other week. But this is the first round that she's taken out the Irish player of the year, uh, followed by Anya Tai, Sarah Rowe, Tanya Kennedy from Sydney Swans, who's featured now two or three times as well. So she's having a storming season. And Ashling Sheridan finishing out the top five there. And if we flick over to the overall Irish player of the year after round five, very interestingly, Sarah Rowe has jumped to the top of the table on 395 points. Now, Sarah Rowe is having a brilliant season. She has been uh, received coaches' votes in the AFL Coaches Association, AFLW Champion Player of the Year award. Now, that's a bit of a mouthful, but this is a, a competition that the coaches vote on after every game. Sarah Rowe has received votes four rounds in a row, uh, rounds two, three, four, and five. Never been done before, again, by uh, an Irish AFLW player. So another brilliant achievement. That puts her up at the top of the leaderboard, followed closely by Ash Mack and Neve Kelly, Oro Dwyer, Anya Tai, Ashlyn Sheridan, Blind Mack, and all the brilliant players, brilliant names that we're seeing week in and week out. Uh, but it's flipping between uh, the top two or three of these players every week, so mm. it's going to be an exciting run in on this one as well. I think the only thing closer than the AFLW Grand Final and the run-in and the preliminary finals will be the AFLW Ireland Irish Player of the Year final standings and I'm certainly looking forward to it. Fantastic to see such consistency from those Irish players in those standings reflective of their performances as well. Uh, Mike, we've covered a hell of a lot of ground there over the last while. Uh, two rounds of games, look previewed all of next week's games, all the AFLW Ireland standings. We look forward once again to talking to you on the Big Red Bench next week and do a full roundup of round six. Sam here, Jerk. Thanks very much. Talk to you then. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Corks Red FM. Resident rugby expert Wendy Keenan joined me on this week's Corks Red FM Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast to review the Barbarians' historic clash with Munster Women's Rugby at Thoman Park last weekend. Wendy and I also review the latest women's AIL season results and the quarterfinals of the Energia All-Ireland Women's Rugby Junior Cup, as well as mentions of Brough, Mallow, Middleton and Clonakilty RFC's senior women's teams. Now it's time for our regular Munster Women's Rugby slot here on Cork's Red FM's Big Red Bench and I'm delighted as ever to welcome back our resident expert, that's our official job title now, and that is Wendy Keenan to the Big Red Bench. Wendy, how are you? I'm great, Jaron. Great to see that you're back in action again. 
Thank you very much. Yes, my um, uh, the rumours of my demise were greatly exaggerated. I think that's the saying. Yeah, the, get, getting to the point of my life where uh, man flu knocks me over. No, but sure, look, I'm back better than ever. And I'd like to thank all the people that sent in sympathy cards as well. It was most most delightful. Anyway, in the interim, we've had a lot of action both uh, with Munster and also at Energy All Ireland Junior Couple of it and Women's AIL. But we start. There's only one place we can start, Wendy, and that is the fantastic success that was Thoman Park and the double header between the Munster Women's and Munster Men's teams. And and the Barbarians uh, last weekend at Thomond. First of all, your own impressions, but it looked and sounded like a fantastic success and uh, a historic occasion. Like, uh, And you just finished up there by saying a historic occasion, you know, for the men's and the women's, um, an equal double ha- uh, header, which was really important, you know what I mean, for the women's game. Um, look, it was a fantastic occasion. Great to see all the families there. Look. Loads of little girls out watching and supporting um, our Munster women. Um, I suppose, look, Barbarians, they were just too strong for Munster, really. You know, they scored the first try. Um, but Munster responded with the try from our own Stephanie Noonan. I mean, Stephanie's on the back of a great interprose there in, in the centres. And that was converted by our number 10, Kate Flannery, who I think was a, another girl with a, a wonderful future ahead of her. Look, a few more tries on the sky uh, on the scoreline for the Barbarians left us 38-7 at half time. Um, the second half, I suppose, picked up where the, where the first half ended, you know, with a few extra tries. But Chloe Pierce did cross the line for Munster. Um, but the final score was 45 12. Um, a few, I suppose, takeaway things from, from that. We were limited with the time that some of the Irish players were allowed to play. And what I mean by that, Dorothy Wall, May Vogue, uh, Eva Doyle, their time was set by the Irish coaches. So they wouldn't have been allowed to play. Um, you know what I mean, a, a full half of the match. Um, Fee Reedy, our long-serving uh, veteran, as we call her, in the front row, she is now retired. So there was lovely videos of her after the match. Um, I'm glad to say that Fee is on the women's committee with us um, as secretary. And look, she's not retiring out of the club game, so she'll continue with you well, Bose. But a very special occasion for a name that we've spoken about, and that's Beth Buttimer. Yeah. So she got her first start um, in the Munster jersey at just 18 years of age. She'd taken a knock the week before. She got all cleared. And uh, another great performance for Beth. And you know what I mean? I suppose another learning curve for her. But um, a very exciting occasion. I got to sit with our own Kira Griffin that we had on here after the match. And I said, well, Kira, are you coming back out of retirement? And she, her direct words were, not at home. <laughs> she, thoroughly, <laughs> she thoroughly enjoyed it, but she was absolutely wrecked. Um, but look, it was great to see her as well, um, you know, out in the pitch. And she put in some big hits, mm. um, like she would have done when she stepped off the pitch a couple of years ago. But um, look, as I said, a wonderful occasion, a celebration of the, of rugby. Um, we don't know when we'll see that again. No, that's a very good summation of it. And I think, look, we don't want to overdose. Like on, on, you know, sometimes you can just blow these things up. But the optics of having the men's and the women's game as the co-main event, for want of a better term, Wendy, that's hugely important for the growth of the game. That it's recognised along with the Munster men's game that this is a double header. These are two very, very talented teams. And the women's team, whatever about the result, the fact that they got to play such open, attractive, attacking rugby. The thing that I took from it, from watching it online they enjoyed the experience. So the players got something out of it, which is the key thing here. They have to get something out of it. But the overall optics for Munster Women's Rugby are very, very, are, are more important in that this is a co-main event. Yeah, I, I mean, that is very important. And I suppose another aspect of it is we had Munster girls, you know what I mean, like 18, 19, 20, and they're tackling their role models on the other mm. side who have maybe recently retired out of the game. You know, Lindsay Peace, few others that were there, girls that are now playing in the UK, um, and and that's an important aspect of it as well. But you're 
you hit the nail on the head. It was a real enjoyment atmosphere. You know, they were rotating the substitutions coming on and off. Everybody was laughing, smiling. You know, there was lots of high fives. You know, I mean, I was inside afterwards with the girls and just they had a great celebration and it was an opportunity for them as well to sign off their Interpro series, you know, their Interpro season because they went straight from finishing the Interpros into the WAL and didn't really have much time to let the hair down. Mm. But I think they might have done that on Saturday night by all accounts. And that's an important part of sport too. And an important part of the Barbarians experience as well, Wendy, which is something we spoke about to Kira in, in the preview, um, which which really came across. I know she flew down to South Africa and they were taking it very seriously as the Barbarians always do. But the Barbarians bring on the pitch, they bring that professionalism, that land, the French world, that freedom, that attempt to play rugby the way it should be played. But off the pitch, the camaraderie and uh, that lovely social feeling around this type of rugby and this type of occasion that also shone through as you said Oh yeah ab- absolutely and I suppose the praise that the, you know some of the older players on the pitch had for the young girls that were out there that's a key element mm. af- and uh, afterwards on the pitch there were lovely conversations going on um, between those you know barbarian girls and the young monster girls you know what I mean and you know lots of hugs but I, mean, I think words of encouragement and advice and that's I think that's really important um, you know what I mean for the development of these players and yes it put them up to them they did have a very tough match I've no doubt Munster you know they were putting their bodies on the line for the for, for the 80 minutes and they'll have learned a lot from, from the occasion and if you're to get better you have to play the better teams and you have to know what's expected of you next time you go out you certainly do. So congratulations to everybody involved in that. We should also mention the other part of the co-main event. The Munster men beat the Barbarians 52-35 in an equally entertaining tri-fest. Uh, but a fantastic day at Thoman Park and a great day for Munster rugby, men's and women's. And well done to everybody involved in getting the Barbarians over for that doubleheader at Thoman Park. You are listening to Cork Street FM's Big Red Bench on a regular Munster women's rugby weekly slot with our resident rugby expert, Wendy Keenan. We turn our attention from the fantastic day that was Thoman Park to the Energy All-Ireland Junior Cup which got up and running last weekend, Wendy. Yeah, I suppose like we, we've seen this tournament in the past. It was, it was the end of the season last year. There's been a whole uh, restructure of the senior, senior of the season plan um, at an IRFU level. So it started starting the season with the All-Ireland Junior Cup. So these teams were coming out, I suppose, fresh really because they, they hadn't kicked off in, in Munster yet. But we had comprehensive win for UL Bowes. They overcome Westport 42-7. So they were absolutely thrilled with that win. Unfortunately, Skibbereen were defeated by a young team throughout team 45-7 but I will say about their opposition they have come from the Munster sorry from the Connacht uh, under 18 squad quite a number of those players you know have, have a lot of experience but behind them going into that fixture um, I know Skibbereen will be very disappointed with that result but they'll have learned lessons too they certainly will and just on that particular game Wendy I had the opportunity to speak to uh, their captain Avril Condal afterwards for a newspaper article that's going to appear in this week's Southern Star newspaper and she as you rightly said very disappointed uh, losing 45-7 but to put it into context um, a much changed Skibbereen lineup this year they're under new management as well uh, the previous management team uh, have moved on so they've got a new manager now in Gordon O'Dwyer but what Avril was very very happy about was that they uh, Skibbereen shipped 40 points to a really really uh, talented and she was at pains to say that Chum Uchterard lineup, a lot of very good in, young international players in that lineup. They shipped forty points in the first half, but they held them to five points in the second half, and that just shows you um, the determination of this particular Skibreen team. It's much changed; it's a very young team. Um, Avril herself uh, uh, scored an intercept try uh, for the home team, which uh, drew a huge roar, as you would expect on the day itself. So a disappointing result, but considering it was their first day out, um, Skibreen have quite a lot that they can build on, um, and uh, 
that's about as good a test as you can ask for at this particular time of the year in their first outing. Disappointing result, but Skibbereen, a much changed Skibbereen team this year, very young team, um, very, very happy with their second half performance. And as you said, that's got some, that's something that they'll be able to build on. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and, and by all accounts, that, that Connacht squad, um, a lot of speed, lots of fast, you know what I mean? Fast play, a lot of open play. And the girls have been playing together for the last three years um, at underage. They've come from an under-16 structure together. Um, three in particular, I know, um, enjoy scoring a lot of tries and one of which uh, won the Connacht Under-18 Player of the Year last year. So, um, look, you know, it's hard to beat speed, you know what I mean? Especially if they're, you know, getting on the outside and... Um, you know they'll have to they'll come up against that during the season. So, but you know, not a bad way to kick off the season to give you a, a little kick to motivate you to to train that little bit harder. Definitely. Um, the as you say, the energy All Ireland Junior Cup kicking off this past weekend, but we also had action in the women's AIL. Yeah. So this is just from the previous week, just to follow up. Um, two matches. Remember the last time we spoke, we were number one and number two in in the um the league. I'm delighted to say you well bowls are still up there. They clocked up a huge score on Gall Regions, eighty two nil. And we certainly weren't expecting that. We were expecting a win, but um not uh, uh, that many tries scored. Unfortunately Ballancolic just lost out to Setonians twelve five. Setonians came from behind to sneak in that try and um, to take that win um uh, for the whole match for Ballancolic. So they'll all be back in action again next week and we wish them the very best of luck. Yeah, we certainly do. We're going to be tracking uh, UL Bowes and Balancholic's uh, progress throughout the women's AIL throughout this coming season ahead of as well of a very, very busy junior scene and uh, underage scene. And I know we're going to be covering that. Before we finish up this week, just a quick word as well from my hometown club, Clonakilty RFC, because this past Sunday was another historic occasion out in Shannon Vale where Clon RFC fielded a women's senior team for the first time in many years. And uh, utilising that underage setup that they've been cultivating over the last couple of years, the Clon senior women took on Middleton in a Munster Women's Senior Open Cup. Toy. They led 10-7 at the interval thanks to Izzy Grogan and Quiva Murray tries but Middleton hit back in the second period scoring two tries of their own to move 17 ahead. It looked like Middleton were going to win until a late Emma Lovell try and an Anohi conversion made it 17 all at the final whistle and uh, that, needed, that needed uh, extra time which I'm sure both sets of players were delighted with but two additional periods but in that additional period um, Middleton proved a stronger team eventually winning out 34-24 but seeing a women's senior team at Clonakilty RFC in West Cork is a hugely positive move hopefully not just in kind of kill the RFC yeah, but really really important yeah I mean it's really really important and I'm going to say these two clubs used to have a really strong women's team when I was back playing uh, just a couple of years ago and no I suppose look, I mean we're looking at um, I hate to say it 20 years ago but um, Clonakilty and Middleton had two very strong women's team competing in you know, Munster Division 1 um, they've they've been off the radar, I suppose is the way I'd put it, um, and not fielding uh, at, at level for quite a number of years. And to see them now back and playing really good rugby, good numbers, clocking up the tries, it was a really important fixture. And just the key home message here is welcome back to both clubs because we need all these clubs in all parts of our province providing adult rugby opportunities for our girls so that they can achieve that full pathway from minis. 14, 16, 18s. Schools is huge now. We'll have to concentrate on that next week, I think, um, and uh, and in, into the adult game. At the other side, then we had uh, uh, Mallow versus Bruff. It was Bruff's home match. Uh, not as many try scores. Mallow walked away victorious with a, a scoreline of six to five. 
So two penalties to one try in that game. Very close encounter. But um, yeah, just really good to see the clubs back out. And Brough is their first time fielding a women's adult team as well. So um, yeah, so look, your clubs coming back up. Mallow are building strong. So there you have four clubs that mm. you know we wouldn't have been talking about last season, Ger. And true. we're starting off this season talking about them. So yeah, it's a bonus to kick off. Yeah, well done to Brough, well done to Mallow, Middleton and Clannacilty, as we said. Let's hope they can keep that going and encourage other clubs to do the same. Um, a lot of rugby has gone on in the last couple of weeks. Even more rugby is on the way, as you said, both in schools and at junior and underage level. We will cover it here every week on Corkshire FM's Big Red Bench with our resident rugby expert, Wendy Keenan. But for this week, for your time and uh, your expertise, thanks very much, Wendy. Thanks a million, Jeff. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Cork Red FM's resident Formula One expert, Sarah McKenzie Foley, rejoins us on the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast to provide analysis, comment and an expert preview of this weekend's 2023 Qatar Grand Prix. Sarah also looks back at the past week's Formula One headlines, including Red Bull securing a sixth Constructors Championship, in-team tensions to the fore of the Japanese Grand Prix in Suzuka at McLaren and Mercedes and their possible ramifications, as well as driver updates from Riccardio, Sonoda, Piastri and Logan Sargent. Now on Cork Street FM's Big Red Bench, we are delighted to welcome back our resident Formula One expert, Sarah McKenzie Foley, to run the rule over all the latest off-track headlines and look ahead to the uh, Qatar Grand Prix, which is coming up this weekend. Sarah, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? Good, thanks. Yeah. Good to talk to you again. Um, since we were last on, we've had a bit of a, uh, an unwanted break. It's all my fault. Very sorry, everybody. But we're back this week uh, again to talk all things Formula One. And in that in that time, Red Bull uh, just went and secured their sixth Constructors' Championship. Hardly a surprise, um, but one man really responsible for it more than anyone else. Yeah, I mean, Verstappen has basically carried the team on his back, let's be fair. <laughs> He, uh, he's, yeah, I mean, it's their second consecutive consecutive trophy, but obviously very convincing, you know, when you look at the the points difference to, to Mercedes behind them. So I think all we can hope for now is that the teams will have learned from what Red Bull de- developed and try and close the gap before next year. But obviously they, they still have Adrian Newey for the foreseeable, so they're going to keep developing and and you know, more than likely keep improving on that car. So it's a big hill to climb. It certainly is. It could have been facetious there and answered your question for you and said the man responsible was Adrian Newey and not first happened. But we won't do that to Max because <laughs> we like him on this show and uh, we like the way he's grown into becoming a world champion. Um, all things looking nice and happy in, in Red Bull. Not necessarily the case elsewhere on the, on the grid, Sarah. Um, uh, in team tensions to the fore in two teams in particular at Suzuka. Yeah, McLaren and Mercedes, I think, have their hands full with their driver lineups as much as we see a lot of, you know, bromance kind of stuff on social media and all that kind of thing. I think it's less like that in reality. And we saw them all squabbling with each other. I think even when Mercedes split their driver strategy, they found each other again at the end of the race. And George Russell kind of felt hard done by, but at the end of the day... It's just, I think it's it's a case of management and, you know, it's difficult when you have a number one and a number two driver, but it's probably arguably more difficult if you're avoiding making that choice and you're trying to let them have a level, level playing field because usually what will happen is the driver with more tenure in the team is going to, you know, say that they're their preference uh, and it just, it's awkward. It is awkward. And at the end of the day, it's the team that it costs because 
if they hit each other, whatever happens and they fall back or they don't finish, it's the team that loses the points. So I think there's there's some serious management needs to be done in both of those teams at the moment. I, I that's putting it mildly. I think it'd be very polite as always, Sarah. Um, I do think when it comes though to to Mercedes, like considering it's Sir Lewis Hamilton is sitting in the other in the other cockpit here, I think look whatever about George Russell, you have to look. It's it's one and two forever there. Like uh, who's going to be a number one driver ahead of, of Lewis Hamilton, apart from maybe from Max Verstappen left on the grid, and that that's that that's being really you know out there in terms of. Um, you know, cryptic ideas for driver lineups for for a Netflix series. But are Mercedes now under pressure? I mean, you're talking about the infight, and that's one thing. McLaren and Mercedes, once this is all wrapped up, which it is in the constructor side of things, once the drivers will probably be wrapped up this weekend, like a lot of the focus is going to shift from Red Bull naturally to the rest of the grid. And I know a lot of the seats are still sorted out for next year. We're going to talk briefly about that. But is the pressure, I mean, I know the pressure's on Aston Martin. It's something you spoke about on your social media channels. But for McLaren and Mercedes as well, like they now will have the microscope put on them even more uh, for the remainder because it's going to be, Editors chasing headlines when the you know the championship is over so early. Unfortunately, that's the way of the world. But from McLaren and Mercedes' point of view, they need a positive finish to this season, including Ferrari. But they needed more than Ferrari, more than anything else. Yeah, I agree. I think particularly McLaren because they have made two huge jumps. You know, both times that they brought in their upgrades, they made huge jumps of performance. So when you look at their season overall, you wouldn't necessarily expect them to be their fifth in the Constructors' Championship, but they're only less than 50 points behind Aston Martin, who are sort of falling backwards. So mm. I think, you know, depending on, as you say, how they manage the driver situation, McLaren could be up as far as third, potentially in the Constructors by the end of the year. And that means a lot of money. So I absolutely agree. I think they're going to really have to be smart about how they play this and Often that means letting go of the politics and just being cutthroat because at the end of the day, you need to prioritise the driver that's going to score you the most points. And I think in McLaren, it's that little bit more difficult because the drivers are on a more level playing field. They certainly are. You're listening to the Big Red Bench here on Corks Red FM, our regular Formula One weekly slot with our resident Formula One expert, Sarah McKenzie Foley, and me, Jeremy McCarthy, talking all things Formula One. You mentioned drivers there and settled drivers in their in their seats, not just for this year, but also for next year. But we have news for 2024 with Alpha Tauri and also uh, an extension at McLaren. Yeah, so Piastri has extended his time at McLaren. I think we all saw that coming, uh, you know, despite the the challenges they may have going forward. He's obviously really happy in that car. They're really impressed with him. I think it would be remiss of them to let him go to any other team because I think any other team would actually be really happy to have him. So that's kind of the the news in McLaren. And then Ricardo and Sonoda have been confirmed for Alpha Terry slash whatever it may be called in, uh, in 2024 for that year and I think maybe Liam Lawson will feel hard done by there because he's played a blinder in the races that he has been running while Daniel Ricciardo's been out but and it looks like now Ricardo may not even be back actually until Austin so I think there's got to be somewhere there's got to be a space found for him Logan Sargent is a not confirmed at Williams he's the only seat now remaining not confirmed for next year so there's rumblings that Lawson could potentially be loaned out to Williams, but nothing concrete on that yet. And just on those points that you've made there, I mean, to me and to the naked eye and the untrained eye, Lawson is surely more of a points, potential points getter than Sonoda. So is Sonoda in the Alpha Tauri, whatever it's going to be called in 2024, 
money? Is it contract? Is it just what he brings outside of his driving skills? Because logically, you would imagine Lawson is, even already, he's a better option in that seat. It's hard to say, to be honest. It really is. I think... It could, I mean, it's it's probably, there's definitely money obviously involved because it's Formula One and also because he's the only Japanese driver on the grid at the moment. And obviously there was a historical relationship between Red Bull and Honda there that kind of helped to get him into that seat in the first place. And I think maybe he's sort of taken advantage of the fact that there's so many moving pieces around him that he's you know i don't think that they would been would have been naive enough to just look over him but i i think it was probably just an easier decision maybe for them i think lawson at the end of the day is still young so i think they're possibly afraid of another nick devries situation where someone shows potential and then comes in and when they're actually on the the hot seat you know wrecks the car i i don't think lawson would do that and i think he it does, a space has to be found for him because there's just people, there's these young drivers queuing up for seats and we just can't get them in. Yeah, and this is it. I mean, you're, it's the old adage, like, do you stay with the tried and trusted and the experienced driver that's kind of solid and is going to get you around the track? Or do you start the life cycle of a new driver coming in, taking on board, all those things, including Sonoda in fairness, wasn't being too smart about him. You make a lot of mistakes at the start of your career. Every driver does. But there comes a point where, you know, things are tight and the, the budget is there and you've got to get the points and you've got to keep the sponsors happy that if there's a hot hand that you've got to go with that. And I just think Lawson certainly has done more than enough. And just one quick word as well on Piastri, because I know we both rate him and mm-hmm. he, I think he grew on me maybe a bit longer took a bit longer for me more so than you you spotted his talent a lot quicker than I did which is no surprise but you did spot it early on in the season but his consistency at McLaren and the fact that Lando Norris is not now the marquee name anymore should this be does this decision tell Lando you're going to have to up your game because it's no longer as you said it's no longer a clear one and two to me at McLaren right now because Piastri is coming up and he's just as good and just as quick both in qualifying and in, in race day as well yeah I completely agree and I think Lando knows that his his radio and his demeanor on the team radio has been mm, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a word to to describe it it's been much shorter it's been much more Kurt. to the point he's more aggressive yeah mm. he's you can see that he sees what's going on. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's not hard. I think he he still, I believe, would have faith in his position within the team because of his tenure there. However, again, as we said at the end of the day, Formula One is about results and Oscar Piastri has been very calm. He's been very patient. He, you know, was the second person to get the upgrades always and in the end came out and did just as well, if not better, as you said, than Lando. So there's a, I would not like to be Zach Brown managing those two. Um, but I think definitely Piastri is, uh, mm. he's for sure one to watch for next year. Oh yes. And that, that's the good news, I suppose. And as well for the rest of the season, even though things are pretty much wrapped up or very shortly they're going to be wrapped up. We're just going to talk about that briefly as we look ahead to Qatar. Um, you know, the Netflix series makers will be delighted with this kind of thing because they got to fill some episodes as we both know. Mm-hmm. And Formula, it's not all about Netflix, obviously, but these, uh, these, in, these inter-team issues and as they rise, it's like the Ryder Cup this past weekend, things are blown out of all proportion, mm-hmm. make the headlines. 
experience but it's the longevity of the two the two drivers that work best together and I look at Ferrari to be fair to Ferrari we've had a lot of criticism of Leclerc and uh, you know just the way that they've dovetailed under the year but they have settled down and they've delivered over time I think they've shared a lot of the, the tech and I think there, there hasn't really been an out and out one and two driver and I think that is the way to go and I think McLaren if they're smart they'll say to both drivers off you go lads and race for the rest of the season you're here next year you're going to have to get along anyway uh, let's see what you can do and let's take the shackles off I hope that's what happens in the remaining rounds of the Formula 1 World Championship Sarah but I don't know if that's going to be the case before we look ahead to this weekend's Qatar uh, Grand Prix a quick check on the Constructors Championship delighted to say we don't have to talk about it anymore because Red Bull have won it 623 points from 15 wins and 23 podiums Mercedes still in second place in 305 just ahead of Ferrari on 285 lots to fight for there Aston Martin slipping as we said on 221 and 4th and McLaren on 172 and 5th the Drivers Championship Max Verstappen not yet world champion despite 400 points accrued Sergio Perez his teammate in 2nd place on 223 Lewis Hamilton up to 3rd in, in the Mercedes on 190 and then Fernando Alonso hanging in there in the Aston Martin ahead of Carlos Sainz Jr in the Ferrari uh, finishing out those top 5 we mentioned the guitar Grand Prix which is 6 o'clock uh, Greenwich Mean Time on Sunday the 8th of October from the Low Sales Circuit um, Sarah we'll have a full debrief next week with you on what happens on and off the track and that but look obviously the, the main headline is Max knows what he needs to do to become world champion what else are you most looking forward to from this particular circuit? Yeah I think I mean I really hope it that we don't see a win on Saturday um, I, I just think that's wrong <laughs> I think uh, a world championship should be won during a Grand Prix. That's mm. just, you know, maybe I'm being a bit uh, a bit too, you know, classical with it, but I, I really do feel that way. You know, we've only had one Qatar Grand Prix. The first one ran in 2021 and then not in 22. So it's one of the few circuits that Verstappen hasn't won at, and he'll be looking to obviously overturn that. But in the two years since we did last run the race, the whole circuit has been resurfaced. So I think the really big question mark here for all the teams is going to be around tyre degradation because they just have no idea of really what's going to happen, no historical data on it whatsoever. And because it's going to be a sprint format, they'll only have one hour of free practice really to figure that out before they dive into qualifying. So I think you can probably expect to see a bit more risks being taken as far as, you know, we have an hour to figure this out. Uh, But other than that, I think my main hope is just that it goes to the Sunday because I think that's just... It's just the way it should be. Yes, let's hope that Bax doesn't do it on the, on the sprint race, as you said, and ahead of the, the lights going out and away we go, because that's the way, as I do it, like you as a traditionalist, I think that's where it should be decided, is in race format and race trim. I do know we will have lots to talk about no matter what happens. Uh, Max will, prob- will more than likely be champion by then. We'll discuss that as well as everything else that happens from the Qatar Grand Prix with Sarah McKenzie Foley on next week's Big Red Bench. In the meantime, where can we find more of your motorsport and all your online content? Yeah, so as you mentioned, I've got a video out at the moment on my YouTube about Aston Martin, so you can find that if you search Sarah McKenzie F1, and you'll also find me on Twitter at MacTweets underscore. Excellent stuff. We will talk again next week. Sarah McKenzie Foley, Corkshire FM's Big Red Benches, resident Formula 1 expert, the debrief of the Qatar Grand Prix. But for now, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Ter. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Two early goals from Neve O'Sullivan helped secure a Cork LGFA Senior B Football Championship County Final berth for Castlehaven at the expense of Clonakilty in Ahamilla last Sunday. The Haven will face Formoy in Saturday's Senior B County Decider at MTU following a stern test from their West Cork rivals before emerging 3-8 to 10-point winners. I caught up with both managers, Clonakilty's Joe Maloney and Castlehaven's Dinny Cahillan, shortly after the final whistle. 
But first, here's winning Castlehaven captain, Siobhan Courtney. Okay, Siobhan Courtney, first of all, congratulations into a county senior B final. Um, just from speaking to your manager, Dinny Callan, how important is it for Castlehaven, considering where you've come from, to have something to play for heading into October now? Yeah, we're delighted with it. Um, I suppose being up senior was um, a big, you know, change for us now. You know, it was a big um, difference in the level, uh, the physicality. But like, I suppose this is a natural progression, I suppose, when you consider the grades. Um, so we're delighted to be in the senior B final. Got a big test today from Clonakilty, but you got off to the best possible start. Neva Sullivan's two early goals, they were crucial for you in the end? Yeah, they were. It was a great start and we needed that in the end. Um, you know, Clon really pushed in the second half. Um, you know, they were unlucky there to hit the post. That would have brought it back to maybe two. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the scores were vital. We worked the ball up the pitch. We worked it really well as a team today. Um, and it was great, yeah. Um, you've had a good run recently. I mean, not necessarily in senior results, but your West Cork minor A result was a big one for the club, and the fact that they'll be competing at county level now as well. Home partners for those younger players, the likes of Nia, that have of that age group and those people coming through that age group, that they get exposed to that ahead of playing senior. Yeah, we need all those um, girls. I suppose playing minor A is fantastic for the club. Um, you know, that really brings the girls on, uh, playing at such a high standard and against tough opposition. Um, they played a fantastic game against Island Rovers on Friday night. And I mean, there were so many of them playing there again today. Um, you know, the energy they bring to the squad um, is fantastic. So we definitely need it all. And it's great for the years coming through. How difficult has it been to adjust to senior level? I know you're county final to look forward to. We don't know who you're playing at the moment. Uh, it's still going on between Kinsale and Fermoy. But how difficult has it been, the adjustment? Because there's been some tough results and tough moments. But these are the kind of things that, that help you down the road. Yeah, it has been tough. Um you know it's a big step up from intermediate but we're delighted to be in this grade and you know like we want those tough games we want to keep improving and we want to see the areas that we have to improve on you know this is like stepping stones for us we have to you know it'll take a few years for us to get to that senior A grade I suppose and we're willing you know as a as a team as a club to put in that work over the few years to get there like it's not going to happen in a year or two um, but we're really delighted with this grade this year and like yeah like you say it has been um, the physicality level the speed at the ball is worked up the pitch um, you know turnovers are really costly at this level and you know we've learned all of that now and uh, hopefully we'll keep progressing as a team and a squad and keep developing Well the very best luck to you in the County B final Thank you very much uh, Dinny Callan first of all congratulations into a County Senior B football final um, tough task today for Castlehaven getting over Clonakilty but you must be delighted now because you have a county final to look forward to at the end of what's been a long and sometimes difficult season Yeah um, look I suppose after last week and the heads are down we got a fair thumping up in the header um, but look the girls in fairness they, they, they rose to the occasion and got back into it during the week of training and uh, fairness we had a chat inside the dressing room today and we, we knew heads are down so we said just one, one hour lifted for one hour there's a senior B final at stake look as I said to you before we've came from junior D or C or whatever and uh, to get to senior B final is a great achievement there in, in, within five or six years you know. so look it's great for the girls brilliant for the girls yeah. um, talk to me about your start because Neva Sullivan got two goals inside the first five minutes coming off a hat-trick in the minor A final win over Island Rovers earlier in the week they were vital yeah look I suppose Neva's class player like when she gets the ball she just she goes for goal she's nothing in her head only goal I suppose when she gets the ball and, and she took her two goals well now in fairness to the girls inside they, they laid them on for her as well which, so some great movement inside there in, in the first 5-10 minutes of the game but look Clan came back into it again but the girls weathered the storm and, and, and done well in, in the second half yeah 
Um, you mentioned how important it is to, to get to a County B final at the moment. Kinsale are playing for Moy. It was all squared last year, so we don't know who you're playing yet. Irrespective of who you're playing, though, the focus on a final is something you're very, very used to. How, how important is that coming into it now? Look, I suppose we're, we're, we're in October again, and to be training next week for a County final, no matter whether it's Senior B, Senior A, Junior A, whatever it is, it's, it's unbelievable for the club. And look, we'll knuckle down again for the week and uh, get our few niggling injuries sorted, and hopefully whoever comes through, we'll have a rattle off it anyway, you know? Um, just one final thing your panel this year looks quite it's a bit younger than previous years um, there seems to be a lot more of those younger players that you, you brought through the minor home partner was it to win a West Cork minor A recently and go into a county championship for the players that are coming through but the younger players that stood up today yeah. especially in the backs because you were really good at the back yeah very important like I mean we had we had one wing back there like she's only just 16 we brought on another 15 year old we brought on another 17 year old you know and it's very important to bring players through if you could bring two or three players onto the panel every year and that's what we've done this year we brought probably four or five of the younger girls onto the panel and we knew they're good enough footballers like you see they won the minor A and um like you need that for for to drive the seniors and you know drive the older girls. I won't say older because they'll kill me. But the more mature girls. <laughs> Excellent. Listen, all the best to county final. Thanks, Jarvis. Okay, Joe. Look, obvious disappointment for Clonakilty coming up short in today's county senior B football semi final to Castlehaven. But there's the core of a very young team there and a very talented panel. And you'd be looking to bounce back again next year in the senior grade. Yeah, delighted with the girls' performance. Disappointed with the result. Obviously, um, they showed great heart. Uh, there's a lot of talent and a. Uh, good stuff coming through but uh, it's it's important to keep them going keep them interested and keep them involved yeah like uh, after the first quarter you conceded two early goals but you fought your way back into it especially in the third quarter and had a couple of chances there even to, to get very very close to Castlehaven but it just didn't go your way no it didn't and uh, unfortunately one off the woodwork there might have changed the outcome for us but um, that's the way it goes with football I I congratulations to Castlehaven on a great result they are a fine team and there's a lot of good stuff coming through with them too so I suspect they'll be um, they'll be pushing hard in the years ahead and just finally how beneficial has this campaign been for the younger players who wouldn't have been exposed to senior football not just the championship but the county league as well oh hugely beneficial uh the big thing for them is that they have to have the courage to, to step up and, and want to play and we've had a lot of girls put their hand up this year and uh, and over the years they will develop and they'll as long as they keep at it they will they will form the bones of a good team in the future Congratulations anyway on the season we'll talk to you again soon Thanks very much sir OK it's time for another Cork LGFA County Championships Roundup and it has been very very busy across the senior intermediate and junior grades over the past seven days as we look ahead to the first of the county finals at triple header coming up in MTU on Saturday more details of that to follow but we start at the top and at the Senior A Football Championship where the reigning county champions Mornaby will get the chance to defend their title following a hard earned 217 to 311 win over St Val's in last week's county semi-final now Val's gave a fine account of themselves and put it up to the champions all the way through before coming up short by just three points on the day Mornaby's scores came via Clara Lynch 1-6 Kiro Sullivan 1-3 Laura Fitzgerald 3 points Ellie Jack 2 frees Anna Ryan, Deirdre Cronin and Laura Walsh a point piece. As for Vals, their scores came uh, courtesy of Kieran McCarthy who got 1-9-7 of those frees. Laura Buttermer 1-1. Amy Shepherd got a goal and the mighty British Corkery also contributed a point. Mornaby's opponents in this year's Cork LGFA Senior A County Final will be either last year's runners-up Aerogue or Ahada. Those two teams have yet to meet in their midweek county semi-final matchup in Ovens at the time of this recording but they should serve up a terrific contest considering the amount of talented players on both panels. 
On to the Cork LGFA Senior B County Championship where Castlehaven booked their place in this year's decider following a 3-8-10 point victory over West Cork rivals Clonakilty last Sunday afternoon in Clon. Neave O'Sullivan's two-goal blast inside the opening five minutes helped secure a Senior B County semi-final berth sorry, for the Haven in their first year since joining the senior grade. Castlehaven will face Formoy in Saturday's Senior B County decider but only after a stern test from their West Cork rivals in Clon. A couple of days uh, after scoring a hat-trick in Castlehaven's West Cork LGFA Minor A final victory over Island Rovers, Neve O'Sullivan raised two green flags inside the opening five minutes of her latest senior outing. Those scores put Clonakilty on the back foot for the remainder of a semi-final in which the host team were left with two big mountains to climb after Moreto Driscoll added a third and match-clinching winner goal for Castlehaven late in the second half. The Haven scores came by Neva Sullivan 2-3, Moreto Driscoll 1-1, Grania Sullivan 3 points and Ellie McCarthy got a point. As for Clan, Sinead O'Donovan got 5 points. Schaefer Patwell got a point as did Kate O'Donovan, Millie Condon, Ashley Maloney and Orla Lowney. Another West Cork club, Kinsale's hopes of joining Castlehaven in this year's Cork LGFA Senior B County Final were dashed by Fermoy last weekend. A cracking semi-final ended 1-8 to 1-7 in Fermoy's favour, despite Aoife Keating 1-2, Quiva Horgan 4 points and Faye Hearn a point, scoring for Kinsale. Saoirse Moore 1-2, Eva Carey 4 points, Abby Scannell and Michelle Parker a point each scores gave Fermoy a chance to retain their Senior B trophy that they defeated Clonakilty for 12 months ago. Ruby Coffey, Mary O'Sullivan, Ashling Hutchings, Katie O'Flynn, Sinead O'Sullivan, Theresa Murphy, Eva Carey and Saoirse Moore impressed for Fermoy and those players will be crucial to their team's chances of winning another Senior B title this weekend. Despite the loss, Quivo Callan, Amy Casey and Quiva Heffernan played superbly for a battling Kinsale. So on Saturday, October the 7th, Cork LGFA Senior B County Final, the first of three finals on the day at MTU Cork, throws in at noon. That's Castlehaven and Fermoy in the Senior B Final. That should be a cracking game. Nave Avon will face Glanmire in this weekend's Cork LGFA Intermediate County Final at MTU with a 4.15pm throw-in on Saturday following a 5.19-3-2 win over Valley Rovers last weekend. The 2022 County of Munster Junior A champion set up a meeting with Glanmire team desperate to avoid a four consecutive intermediate county final loss. Against Valleys, Neva Vaughan built a 2-9-1-2 interval lead before scoring three additional goals in the second period en route to a deserved win. Lydia McDonough, 2-2, Annie Maher, 2-1 and Grace Murphy, 1-4 provided the bulk of Neva Vaughan's scores. Roshi Corkery, Grania Lucy, three points each, Emer Murphy and Emmy McDonough, two points each, Colleen Phelan and Joanne Kelly, a point apiece, were also on target for the winners. And just a quick word for Valley Rovers senior manager, mentor and coach over the past nine years Dennis Kiley who stepped down from his role following that semi-final defeat Uh, a good season in the end for Valley Rovers and uh, Dennis has been a huge help to me and everybody here at the Big Red Bench in promoting not just Valley Rovers ladies football but West Cork and Cork LGFA football down through the years and he will be missed just a a reminder again that on Saturday at MTU Cork, the uh, intermediate county final between Neva Vaughan and Glanmire. That'll throw in at 4.15. That's the third of three finals. And what a finalism prospect there between the two strongest panels in this year's particular intermediate grade. Well worth attending all three finals, but specifically this one. Uh, Glanmire hoping to put behind all those final defeats. And Neva Vaughan on a roll looking to get up to senior. That promises to be a thrilling match. Donnie's and O'Donovan Rossa will meet in an all West Cork LGFA Junior A County Final at MTU on Saturday at 2pm. The two sides qualified in the top four of this year's Junior A round robin section before Rossa saw off Douglas 10 points to four and Donnie's defeated Middleton 2-9-1-6 in the semi-finals. Yet to lose a championship game in 2023, O'Donovan Rossa's 15 15- 
to 2-6 defeat of Donnie's from earlier in the campaign makes the Skibbereen club slight favourites heading in to that particular final. Having lost last year's county decider to Ava Vaughan, Rosses will look to an informed Laura O'Mahony, Ava O'Donovan, Fanola Driscoll and Kate O'Donovan for inspiration. As for Donnie's, their solitary junior A loss came at the hands of this weekend's county final opponents earlier in the campaign and the Dunmanway club will relish an opportunity to atone for their 2021 junior A county final loss to Castlehaven. That was on 30 metre freeze, what a day that was, at the same MTU venue. Noelle O'Mahony won two, Murray Crowley five points, Melissa Duggan won one and Ruth Collins two points were amongst the Manway Club scorers against Middleton this past weekend. Rachel Quirk a goal, Sive Bosang three points, Clodagh Finn two points and Amy McCarthy were on target for a battling Middleton who also enjoyed a very very good year at the junior A grade. But having met O'Donovan Ross three times already this season, Donnies will be eager for another crack off their West Cork Royals in what promises to be a cracking junior A decider as we said. Three finals going ahead in MTU on Saturday October the 7th and the middle one at 2pm is the LGFA Cork LGFA Junior A County Decider Donnie's versus O'Donovan Ross at 2pm at MTU Cork uh, and again as it says with the other two finals this one's too close to call and it promises to be an absolute cracker now on to the Cork LGFA Junior B County Championship where we have reached the penultimate round Tyke McCorrig are one match away from reaching this year's Junior B County Final but face a formidable opponent in Carrigaline at Cora at 3pm on Saturday the winners of that encounter will take on either Rockbawn or Bishopstone in the Junior B County Decider when those two teams meet in the second semi-final on Sunday at 4pm in Whitechurch as for the Junior C County Championship, Mallow proved too strong for St. Michael's and St. Peter's overcame Berra in last weekend's final set of round-robin matches. As a result, on October 15th, Aaron's own will take on Ballinora and Mallow will face St. Peter's in the Junior C County semi-finals. Both games are currently pencilled for 3pm throw-ins. And just back to last weekend, Bear lost their final uh, Junior C County Championship round-robin game, 110 to 118 to St. Peter's. Anna Downing, three points. Katie O'Sullivan, a goal. Elio O'Sullivan, Kira Murphy, Claire O'Shea and Ruby Downing, a point each, were amongst the rural sides scorers in that particular game. In last weekend's Junior D County Championship semi-finals, Ballinhasic overcame McCroom 4-8-1-12 and Liscool defeated St Finbar's 4-11-1-7. That has set up a Junior D County final pairing of Liscool and Ballinhasic, which is currently scheduled for Saturday, October the 14th, with a venue yet to be decided. Last weekend's County Junior E Championship Group 1 results saw Yall overcome Kilshanig 4-10-2-8 and secure a county semi-final berth. Knocknagree will be the other semi-finalist from that particular group. And in the Junior E Championship Group 2, Clonagale edged Kilworth 3-10-4-4 to move into third place. In the same group, uh, Bandon have now qualified for a Junior E County semi-finals courtesy of a 3-15 to 1-7 defeat of Kildare. Kate McLaughlin won 4, Ava Long 5 points, Emma Tarrant won 2 and a Daly won 1. Quiva Foley, Niamh Sugru and Laura Barra point each scored for the Lilywhites on that occasion and Klein will be the second team to emerge with Bandon from that group into the last four. Those semi-final pairings in the Junior E County Championship yet to be decided are confirmed but we'll do that for you next week. Iban ladies will take on Dripsy in this year's Junior F County semi-finals on October 15th following a 4-13 to 1-5 win over Bantir. Alison McCarthy 2-1, Tara Fleming 5 points, Eleanor Reardon 1-2, Caitlin Deneen a goal, Quiva Nivukula 3 points, Annie Condon and Roshi Nivukula a point each, scored for an Iban side in which Caitlin Deneen was the best player on view. Ballincollig will face Glanworth in the second Cork LGFA Junior F County semi-final. That's the roundup for this past week. Another uh, action pack week from senior, intermediate and junior. As we said, the highlight of this coming weekend is definitely at MTU on Saturday where the Senior B County final between Castlehaven 
and Formoy throws in at noon. That's followed by the Junior A County Final between Donnies and uh, O'Donovan Rossa. That starts at two o'clock. And then the main one, of course, uh, next next Saturday, which is uh, the big one to look forward to, is the Intermediate County Final. And that's between Neva Vaughan and Glanmire. And that throws in at 4.15. We will have, uh, we'll be there for the Big Red Bench uh, on Saturday at MTU Cork with live updates and all the reaction to come. But if you have a chance, do get down to MTU Cork. Three cracking games in prospect there. Plenty of uh, action and excitement and event last couple of years finals are anything to go by plenty of drama too but for now that's this week's uh, Cork LGFA County Championship Roundup and as we said don't forget triple letter of county finals taking place in MTU Cork on Saturday for all the latest information scores tables results and upcoming fixtures the best place to get that is at corkladiesfootball.com on the Cork LGFA's official website and at Cork LGFA on Twitter X as well for all the latest updates that's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune into the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan, and guests between 6 and 7 pm on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels, as well as visiting our official website, redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench, Saturday and Sunday from 6 pm, Cork's Red FM.